Welcome to Focus in Sound, the podcast series from the Focus newsletter published by the Burroughs Welcome Fund. I'm your host, science writer Ernie Hood. In this edition of Focus in Sound, we check in with Dr. John Burris, president of the Burroughs Welcome Fund, for an annual report in sound for the fund for 2016. It was a momentous year in so many ways, including for the Burroughs Welcome Fund, where John has been president since 2008. Dr. John Burris, welcome to Focus and Sound. Well, greetings to you, Ernie. It's always a pleasure to see you and have a chance to chat with you. Well, John, we want to go over several of the fund's 2016 highlights, but to get us started, what would you see as the headline for the year? Was there one overarching development in your thinking? I think, as always, it's a whole variety since we fund a large number of researchers. But one of the things that sort of jumped out at me is the response of a number of our awardees to the Zika crisis. It turns out that we had funded no one specifically in Zika. In fact, almost no one was being funded in the United States or the world on Zika. But we had, because of our philosophy, which is to pick the best and brightest uh, investigators, we had a number of investigators with the tools which enabled them to shift their focus from other model organisms, other viral diseases, other uh, mosquito-borne pathogens, and focus on Zika. So in a relatively short period of time, uh, six or eight of our investigators actually had projects on Zika, ranging from one who was... Uh, looking at uh, how Zika was crossing the placenta, another looking at the epidemiology of Zika. So I think as an illustration of our philosophy, which is to fund investigators who um, have the tools, the initiative, uh, the innovative skills to uh, pursue questions that they not necessarily even knew about when they started the project or when they started as scientists, Uh, was born out in this response to Zika. So we were very pleased with that, and we put together a brochure slash booklet which chronicles the activities of six of our investigators working on Zika. John, what you just told me speaks very much also to what I would perceive as the flexibility of, of the fund. Yes, and I think probably when we talk to the individuals who receive funding from us who are career development awardees and others, they comment that one of the reasons they particularly like being funded by the Burroughs Welcome is that uh, we don't expect them to spend all their money in one year, so we don't see anybody spending on December 28th and ordering 10,000 pipettes to use up their money for the year. We let them carry money forward, and we tell them we're really betting on you as an individual and we're betting that you will do a good job in science in answering important questions, and we're as flexible as those scientists are. If they change direction and it's a reasonable change, the dollars are flexible and follow them. John, the fund's basic mission, of course, is to fund biomedical research and education. How would you say that mission was pursued in 2016? Well, We fund individuals and organizations, the individuals doing biomedical research and organizations. Some of our grants are actually organizational. And then in the educational world, uh, we fund both individuals and also schools, universities, et cetera. 
It's pursued the same way that it has been for many years, which is we see our goal as enhancing research and improving education. And so the way it's pursued is as different as the individuals who pursue it. So you may have one investigator who approaches a problem from a very multidisciplinary stance, who connects with a lot of individuals, who does interdisciplinary research that involves uh, colleagues who are mathematicians or physicists or chemists or biochemists, and other individuals who tend to work in a much more individual fashion. So when you talk about pursue, uh, research is pursued because we provide flexible funding in a very flexible way. And at the educational area, again, we want the, the funding to make its way to the ultimate recipient, which is, of course, the student or the teacher. The teacher as the individual who assists the student, and, of course, the student as being the group that we ultimately want to uh, learn more about science, more about mathematics, more about technology. So how were existing programs changed or expanded over the course of the year? That's a good question. One of the things that you know, if not in our mission statement, certainly one of our principles is that we fund areas that we consider important yet underfunded. Let me take as an example preterm birth. An incredibly important area, about 12% of babies in the United States are born prematurely, but there's very little support for understanding of prematurity, very little understanding of the basic reproductive biology. So that's an example of how a program has evolved and grown, we see as underfunded yet important. And sometimes the opposite happens, and uh, one of the examples of that would be what we call translational research. That is moving from the bench to the bedside. Incredibly important area. When we started funding it, very few foundations were involved in it. There was very little work being done where the basic research was being translated into something that could be used to assist a patient, help to cure a patient, and we were giving in the ballpark of 5 to $10 million a year, which for us is substantial. But the NIH has jumped into that with both feet, has established an institute specifically directed in that area. And so we thought, yes, this is still important, but we don't see it as being underfunded at the same level when we started with it. So there's always some things move off center stage as others pick them up, as other ones sort of emerge as issues of importance. So has the overall focus changed? Has it evolved over the years? I think the overall focus of biomedical research and education has stayed the same. So that's our mission. Our mission statement has remained the same. But within that, clearly changes have occurred. Let us talk briefly about education Initially, we supported only so-called informal science and math education. That is, education that occurs outside the classroom. And we saw that as our niche. And so we focused on that when we focused on education. We've realized that there is a need for a lot more assistance to be provided to teachers. A number of school districts have dropped any professional development for uh, their teachers and we saw that, in fact, a bit more of a focus on teachers 
was warranted, not just the informal out-of-school education, but also providing professional development for teachers and also recognizing teachers uh, through career awards just as we give to the scientists. So although we still remain interested in focused on science and math education in North Carolina, we are now focusing not just on providing resources and opportunities for the students, but also for the teachers, since we see how important they are. If we have a teacher, he or she will reach a classroom a day, uh, and if they're a specialist, they'll reach even more than those 30 or so students. So uh, that would be an example of sort of a change in our funding in education. Obviously, the fund has been engaged in these activities for many years now. Do you think you're seeing tangible results, returns on your investments in scientific research, scientists' career development, and secondary science education? Interesting question because, of course, outcomes is something that foundations and everyone else who provides funding is always asking, is my funding having any effect? Am I changing the world for the better? And uh, we're pretty confident that, in fact, if we look at our researchers, our funding has made a difference, and those researchers, in turn, have made a difference in research as it's conducted in the United States primarily. How do we quantify that? We look at things like publications. We look at where articles are published. That's sort of the commodity or, or the measure that oftentimes is applied in science. We look at how they're moving through the promotion and tenure system. Are they getting promoted? Are they receiving tenure at various colleges and universities? We look at their funding from sources other than the Burroughs Welcome Fund, and we're gratified to see that they're also getting grants from the National Institutes of Health, National Science Foundation. So by every measure, uh, the individuals that we're funding, in fact, are becoming or have become successful scientists. So we're quite comfortable in that area. In the area of education, uh, that's always a tough one to measure short of tests. And since we provide primarily support in informal education, we're less able to quantify that but we do ask the students that participate in our programs uh, questions about, do you have more or less of an interest in being a scientist? Did you meet a scientist? Would you tell your friends to take this program? Uh, do you feel you know more about science and more excited about science? And it turns out that those questions which are posed at the end of our programs, 80 to 90% of the participants say, I'm more excited about science. I tell my friend about science. Uh, I'd love to come back and participate in this program. Uh, I want to be a scientist type of responses. So, in fact, we see it that way. We don't longitudinally follow the students since they're grades K through 12 all the way through their lives. They come in, and, and we have our opportunity to support things that we see as helpful to them in science education and mathematics. But at least we know that qualitatively, we have a group that is better informed about science and, as importantly, is excited about science. John, what's ahead for the Burroughs Welcome Fund in 2017? Well, I think we'll continue with our commitment to supporting biomedical research and education. 
I think in the education world, we've been putting some more focus on distribution of information. So if people want to know about education, we have a one-stop shopping sort of portal where you can come to uh, the NC STEM Center, and we sort of provide a table of contents that tells people about all the activities in science. We're connecting this up with the entire U.S., slowly but surely putting this sort of portal, one-stop shopping together throughout the U.S., but right now in North Carolina, if you want to know what's going on, you can go to the NC STEM Center online and learn more about activity in science, technology, engineering, and math activities throughout North Carolina. So we see, I think, more of that type of information provision. We'll continue to support teachers. We'll continue to support after-school science. We'll continue to support Singapore math programs. We'll continue to support providing funding for teachers to buy equipment and supplies. But in sense of what you're looking for new in 2017, I think there'll be more of a push direction that I alluded to relative to the NC STEM Center. Another thing, when we look in science in general, our programs, again, we're happy with them. We constantly are reviewing them. Right now, we're looking at how do you get more MDs to undertake research. There are a lot of barriers to MDs doing research, ranging from the high debt that they come out of medical school with, including the differential in pay between someone who's in the clinic and seeing patients versus someone that's doing research, length of time, uh, the average first R01, which is one of the research grants from NIH that's kind of a measure of science, Average MD doesn't receive one of those till he or she is 45 years old. So that's a pretty good barrier. You don't get your first grant till you're 45. So we're looking at areas where we might be able to encourage and provide more support for MDs to do research since the percentage of MDs doing research is very small in the United States, and yet they bring a perspective that's helpful in the research world. As many of you, of course, know, the world is becoming more quantifiable. There's more, as they call it, big data there's more information. How do you handle it? How do you get biology and the quantitative sciences merged so that you can mine all this data? And and you've heard about big data and you've heard about data mining. And uh, we're looking at a program where we provide support and training for biologists in this area, which we see as sort of a long-term, continually growing area. And one, we want to have more of our biologists engaged and involved in. John, to broaden our focus just a bit at this point, what do you see as the overall state of the scientific enterprise in the U.S. today? Well, I'm happy and I'm sad. I think it's a mixture. I think there's been enormous success in science research, biomedical research in the U.S., and I think we should be excited and proud of that. I guess I'm worried about what I'll call the aging of the workforce. We're training a lot of younger people, but they don't get into the workforce. They don't get their first jobs. They don't get their R01s until they're really old or older. Uh, As I said, the average NIH first grant for an MD is 45, for an MD-PhD is 44. And so you worry about the aging of the workforce. You worry how that discourages younger people. You graduate from college at 21 years old or 22 years old, and you look at individuals and you think, good heavens, 
it's uh, 20 more years before I get a job and start getting funded research. So I worry about the uh, fact that there are almost no individuals under about 35, 36 years old who have grants and have labs and are doing research. So I always worry, and I think most of my colleagues would also consider this an area that they're worrying about uh, how do we keep young people actively engaged and how do we more rapidly give them the independence they need to do good science. And that's balanced by my continuous optimism about the quality and intelligence and innovation of young people who will keep having great people going into science. And uh, I want to make it as attractive an option for them as possible. But science is booming in the sense of new discoveries, new applications of those discoveries. So I'll always remain optimistic about the path and future of biomedical research and science with all those caveats about how we can keep more people engaged and get the best and brightest involved. John, when you were a guest on my radio show in November 2012, it was the day after the last presidential election, so our first question and answer was actually about that. Right. It seems appropriate to <laughs> revisit that question uh, in light of the more recent election we've just been through. What impact do you see on the scientific enterprise in the U.S. as a result of this election's outcome? I'm not trying to evade uh, answering the question, but quite simply, it's too soon to tell. Uh, science other than climate science and environmental science, which of course were questioned uh, during this election, were pretty much av avoided. We're not part of the dialogue. Uh, neither candidate said much or anything about biomedical science, and certainly President Trump said uh, little or nothing about it. So we really don't know, and, and I'm loath to predict the uh, famous quote you always see at the end of uh, the stock market is, Past performance is no prediction of the future. And I feel that way a little bit. I, what we do know is that Francis Collins, who's the head of NIH, is at least for the moment been retained as head of NIH. We don't know how long-term that is and what impact that will have. And so we're probably, in my opinion, too close to the election and, and too close to the ascendancy of Mr. Trump as the president of the United States I've watched a number of interviews, listened to him, read his tweets, and have yet to see anything about biomedical research. It is certainly not in the front burner right now. We do hope that we get a science advisor relatively quickly uh, because that sends a message about science. But really, I just have to assume a wait and see. When you asked the question four years ago, I had four years of experience. It was the second term. For President Obama, we knew who he had in place. We had four years of performance. Today, we have essentially zero days of performance, so we can't predict. I can say that over the years, the Congress in recent years has been sympathetic to biomedical research. The Congress has not changed radically, so that may or may not continue to be the case. Uh, maybe you'll have to wait till the midterm elections, Ernie, to ask me about them, or maybe something a little close to time. If I had an answer, I would be happy to provide it, but I think I, like most everybody in the United States, really doesn't know what's going to happen next. Well, John, I know that uh, 2016 was a big year uh, for you personally also. 
and we don't want to let this uh, opportunity go by without getting you to uh, tell us about your recognition by the American Association for the Advancement of Science, or AAAS. Well, that's very nice of you to bring it up, Ernie. I was pleased and proud to have been selected as one of their fellows this year, so I appreciate your comments in that regard. Thank you. John, it's been a wonderful conversation, and obviously 2016 was a banner year for the Burroughs Welcome Fund. Thank you so much for joining us here on Focus in Sound. Thank you. We hope you've enjoyed this edition of the Focus in Sound podcast. Until next time, this is Ernie Hood. Thanks for listening.